a few of the weeks in Christmas, and uh, the idea that that uh, the word hospitality in the Bible means it literally means to love strangers. That we are called to be people who would love strangers, uh, and that can take on many forms. We're going to talk about some of those forms today. But the idea again originates in God that God would be so generous to us in his mercy that he would extend hospitality to us through Christ, that he would send Christ from his place in heaven to love strangers and invite those strangers, being us, invite us back to his presence to have peace and fellowship and communion with him. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about hospitality. From God, it originates in him. He has invited us as strangers into his presence to have fellowship and communion with him. And out of that, he desires that we would be people who would practice hospitality in many different forms. As I said, we'll talk about that more today. Uh, But the idea I want to look at today is us being people who are generous people. And as we talk about this, I want you to get the idea of finances out out of your mind. Because when we talk about being generous, we immediately start to think about finances. Now, we need to be generous in our finances Absolutely. That is what that is one form we can't uh, overlook. We need to be generous in our finances. But I want to look at a few ideas or thoughts of being generous in in different ways from financial generosity today. So as we look into Luke chapter six this morning, we're going to be starting in verse twenty seven. It says, but I tell you who hear me, love your. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful." Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the point of this passage altogether simply can be boiled down to the fact that God is kind even to the ungrateful and the wicked. So we are then to be merciful just as our Father is merciful. We see that God's mercy is extended to mankind and characterized, and it is characterized by generosity. We see this throughout the Word of God in in many places. Psalm 104 talks about God's generosity in creation, that he provides for creation. Everything that is necessary for uh, creation to live and thrive and to continue on, for the animals to live for for the grass to grow, all of these things, if you read Psalm 104, it outlines that all of those things come generously from God. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it talks about how we should not put our hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but we should hope in God who richly provides us, who richly provides us with everything 
for our enjoyment, it says. So God provides us not only what is necessary for us to live, God provides for us what can lead us to enjoying life. God doesn't desire for us to be people who would just miserably walk through and stumble through life. He desires that we would be people who truly enjoy his blessings. Now, that's not to say that you might never face some sort of uh, difficulty or suffering or pain, but what is saying is that God is able to provide you with the peace, the comfort, the joy, the things in life that you are able to enjoy his blessings, even though you may walk through pain and suffering. That all comes from God who richly blesses us with everything that we need for life and to enjoy his blessings while we walk on this earth. Uh, Romans 8, starting in verse 31, it says that if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So God in his generosity has provided us again as people who were strangers. He invited us uh, back into his presence through his son and his hospitality, and he gives us all things through his son, Christ. Remember the Bible says in First Peter that we have become co-heirs with Christ. That we are heirs of everything that Christ is an heir of. We have been made heirs of those things. He graciously gives us all things in Christ. That is God's generosity at work in a people who deserve nothing from him. Uh, Psalm 34, starting in verse 5, it says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delight. So God provides an abundance of blessings for his people. That flows from the heart of God. His heart is predisposed to being generous to us. Not because we deserved it, not because of our own merit, not because we have worked hard enough to gain the blessings of God, but because of who he is. It is his nature to be good and generous. And our passage today says that we should then be generous. We should be, we should be merciful as our Father is unmerciful. But if you read this whole scripture from the beginning, the idea is that we would be generous to others in all that we have, the same way God has been generous to us, not just in mercy, but in everything that he has given us for life and godliness and enjoyment. He has given us good things because of his goodness, and he has not withheld things from us, but he makes all of these things available to us out of his heart of generosity. You see, God doesn't withhold things from his people. Everything that God has for us spiritually is available to us. The blessings that God has made available to mankind are available to you and I right now. It is a matter of us choosing to step into those things or not. Now, I'm not talking about uh, financial blessing. I'm not talking about us having houses or land or things like that. I'm talking about us having the peace of God. I'm talking about us having our character changed to reflect who God is and the, the fulfillment in life that comes as I live as the person, uh, I, I live as a person who is transformed by God to live uh, in the way I was created to be. You see, God created me to be a certain thing, a certain person, a certain way for me to have communion with him. That's what I was created for. You see, God's generosity leads me to the place where my heart can be transformed to live out what I was created to, to be. 
to live out what I was created to have, to have all of these things, all of these spiritual blessings that God had for man in the beginning are available to us now, but it's us choosing to step into those things. It's us choosing to allow the Spirit of God to transform my heart to be what I was created to be. And in that, then, I am able to walk in the blessings of God, in the fulfillment of life that comes uh, as I walk with God. God has given us out of the generosity of his heart. He is uh, generous in his mercy, is generous in his grace, his love. Everything that he has, he has given to mankind uh, out of his generosity. Uh, the pulpit commentary I was reading said this about this passage. It says, The grand characteristic feature of the society of his followers must be generosity. They must be known among men as givers rather than judges. Boundless generosity, limitless kindness to all, saint and sinner. This is what he, the master, would press home to those who would follow his lead. That we would be people then, as he has been generous in mercy and love to us, we would be people then that reflect that to the people around us. Not just the people that we like, not just the people that we get along well with, but the people that are difficult, the people that we don't necessarily, sometimes there are personalities that kind of are conflicting with each other, right? Sometimes there are people that just kind of irritate us. But see, God's not calling us just to be generous to the people that it's easy to be generous to. He's calling us the same way Christ did, to be generous to those who sometimes mock us and and may beat us. The same way Christ hung on the cross, he was beaten, he was spit on all of these things, and he was still generous in his love and mercy toward all mankind in that. So we are called to be merciful and generous the same way that God has been generous to us in Christ. Again in verse 27, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27, it says, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And again, as Christ was beaten and, and uh, spit on and laughed at and mocked and hung on a, a cross for us, in that moment, what was his response? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. You see, God, God can't expect any different from his people. You understand that he has poured out such a generous mercy on you and me that he could never expect any less from us in our interactions with man. That everything that he has done for us, he would expect us then to reflect that to the world around us, to the people around us. That when we interact with co-workers or family or friends, that they would see generosity generosity and mercy. This is why I'm saying today, we're not, we're not talking about generosity in finances, though that needs to be a thing in our lives. What we're talking about is generosity in how we interact with other people, that I would be generous with them uh, in, in the ways that I extend mercy to others. And we'll talk about that a little more as we go here. But I want to go to verse 29, Luke 6, 29. Someone strikes you on, the, on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, so 
do to others what you would have them do to you. Give to everyone who asks. If anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. What he's saying here is not, he's not talking about who somebody, somebody who breaks into your house and takes all your things and you just say, go ahead. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who might need something of yours, somebody who might have something of yours or take something of yours, and they can't give it back for some reason. Whatever it is, somebody is imposing on you out of their need is what we're talking about here. That we would look on them and think, what would I want? What would I need? What would help me if I was in that situation where I needed something like this that somebody else had? Now, I'm going to give you a, a, a kind of a dumb example here. There, well, let me talk in general terms. We're recording this. Uh, there are some times where people have things in life, material possessions, and they have such a death grip on it that they would never even consider letting somebody else use it. I've seen people hold on to things that were meaningless, would never let somebody touch it because it was their possession. You know, one of the best, one of the best examples, I think, for me in life, um, seeing how we should be generous with people with what we have is, uh, you know, growing up in my house, there was a certain period of time where we always had somebody staying at our house. There was always uh, our house growing up. My dad was a pastor. Our house was directly beside the church. And there was constantly uh, teenagers from the church at our house, sometimes for days, uh, there was times, there was a period of time where there was a guy in our church that was struggling. He was uh, uh, just going through a lot of turmoil in his life, and he lived in our basement for six months or a year. Uh, that was one of the best examples to me that my parents wouldn't count the things that we had uh, as something that they had to hold on to in such a way where they could never let somebody into that. They were fine being inconvenienced for the sake of somebody else. They were fine being generous to somebody else with what they had. They were fine with the, none of the possessions that they had really were possessions. You understand what I mean by that? That none of the possessions that they had possessed their hearts. That's what we're talking about here. That all of the things that I own... I might have those as worldly possessions, but my possessions don't possess me. That's what we're talking about here. That I would be willing, if it came down to it, to offer whatever I have for the sake of somebody else. And you understand that today, again, as we go here, we're going to talk more about this, but we're not talking just about material possessions. We're talking about being generous in my time my talents, my gifts, my abilities, all that I have, that I would freely give those things to other people, knowing that all that I have, not just material possessions, but all the spiritual blessings I have, have been poured into me from God. It's not that I have done anything to, to be able to own them. It's not that I have done anything to be able to be good enough to, to have merit that I would own those things. It's not that I deserve those things. It's that my Father in Heaven has looked on me in my destitution, and has poured out his blessings from heaven into my heart. And again, the Bible says in First Peter that you and I are stewards of God's graces in its various forms. That verse to me, I know I keep saying it, and you're probably going to hear me say it a million times. Because to me, that verse is mind-blowing, that God would look at me and pour something into me and say, now you are a steward of this, 
and you are going to be held accountable for how you steward this in the world, the people around you. That my graces that God has poured into my heart would minister to other people. And I'm held accountable based on what I do with those things that have been poured into my heart. That is an intense thought. To think that the very graces that God has used to save me, he has placed in my heart and said, now you go as a steward of those graces and you affect other people for my kingdom. That is an intense thought. Verse 32, it says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love you. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He says, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend without expecting anything back. And if you do this then, if you were so generous that you would give and give, not based on what you get in return, if we would be those kind of people... He says in verse 35, Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. If we would be people that would possess nothing in the world, and again, I'm making a distinction between we have possessions, we have cars, we have houses, all these things, but again, those things don't possess me. When I live that way, I'm able to freely give to others, not just my possessions, but my heart, my talents, my time, all of those things. I'm able to freely give those things to other people. And when I do that, the Bible says, then your reward will be great in heaven. Why is that? It's not because you have worked hard enough to gain some certain level of attainment in the kingdom of God. It's because then I am reflecting who God is. It's my reward is great in heaven because I am transformed to reflect who he is. Because this kind of lifestyle is not natural to my heart. It's not. There will be something that will come up in your life where you push people away, where it's just, it's, they've just asked you to go too far. But see, when you are living the way God, uh, God has acted toward us, when we live that way, when we are generous in mercy that way, when we are generous in love that way, then I am able to go whatever distance I need to go for the sake of someone else. Now, when I talk about these things, I always think there's somebody sitting here thinking of all these crazy situations where this doesn't apply. I know there are situations where people can ask you to do something that is just not right. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is generally in the church, those outlying situations are not what we get tripped up on. Generally in the church, what trips us up is the everyday, just the person that I don't really care for that much. It's just the person who irritates me. We're not talking about those far out situations where we got to stop and think, what would God have us to do here? What we're talking about is the general things in life where we just want to hold on to our things. Or we want to hold on to our time or our talents for ourselves. That's what we're talking about here today. Um, 
You know, we talk over and over. You hear people talk about wanting to know what God's will is for their life. What does God want me to do? Where does he want me to go? Where does he want me to be? Where am I going to be in five years? This is what God's will is for us. This is what he wants from us. He doesn't, I, don't, I think a lot of times God doesn't care what job that you work. I'm not saying he never cares. I think there are times he does care. But in general, I think there are things in life where I don't think he necessarily cares exactly what we're doing for, for a job or this or that or if our kids play this sport or that. I'm not sure that he necessarily cares. I think what he cares about is that I reflect him in the place that he has put me. Whatever job I am working, that I would reflect who he is. I think he is infinitely more, more concerned that my heart would reflect who he is than where I am necessarily at in my day-to-day situation. Again, I'm not telling you, there might be a time where God tells you, this is where I want to work. This is, this is why it is so necessary for us to walk in the Spirit of God. You understand that? Because he doesn't dictate every single move that you make on a daily basis sometimes. We have to be walking and able to hear the Spirit of God saying, hey, this is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. He might not always do that. But it is so essential for us to walk in the Spirit because we have to be able to hear Him when He does tell you that. But what I am saying to you is that in general, don't worry about where you're going to be in five or ten years or any of those things. This is what God wants us to be. This is God's will, is that we would be generous people. Generous in mercy, generous in love, generous with my time, my talents, everything that I have, that we would be generous towards others the way that He has been generous. Uh, let me see here. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, Jesus said, uh, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So you see what Christ was doing here in this moment. I think unless we look back to the old covenant, we don't understand the significance of what he was doing here. In the old, in the old covenant, you read a lot of uh, Jewish writings. They, they would say that there was something like 613 commandments. 613 things that you should do or shouldn't do outlined in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying here that when you boil all of those things that you have heard, they're saying, which is the greatest commandment? Out of all these things that have been outlined, which one is the greatest? And he is saying, I can tell you in two sentences, all of it, 613 commands, I can tell you what it boils down to. If this is the foundation of every bit of it, this is what it is. He said it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So everything that they had known in the old covenant, all of those 613 laws that they tried to live up to daily, Christ is saying, you, you want to boil this down and make it simple? Love God with everything within you and love the people around you with everything in you. That's it. That's what all of this, everything in the word of God boils down to, is you love God with everything you have and you love the people around you the way that God has loved you. That's what he's asking of us. 
I want to look at just briefly a few ways that we can live out this generosity. The first thing, again, is simply being generous in mercy to others. Matthew 6.14 says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If you forgive other people, then you will be forgiven. If we don't forgive other people, we will not be forgiven. You see, that's, that is such a serious call for the people of God to recognize the grace that has been poured out into their hearts. If I don't forgive other people, I will not be forgiven. You see, sometimes I think it is easy for us to withhold ourselves, to withhold mercy from others because we don't understand the fullness of the salvation and grace that we have received. I've said this before, but I think in the day that we live in, I'm sure in the world, in a lot of places, even in Christianity, that people think that the human heart is generally good in itself. I think a lot of people think that we are generally good outside of God, putting him aside. They think that the human heart is generally good. It's not. You will not find that in the word of God ever. You will not find that the heart of man is good in itself. You will find that God has placed value in mankind. You will find that that man is valuable in him, that man is valuable because he created man. You will find that man is valuable because we have the ability to interact with God, that we are separate from the rest of creation because we have some of those abilities to know and interact and reflect God. We have that ability, but you will not find that the heart of man in itself is good. What you'll find is the Bible says that the heart is deceitful. The heart is wicked. The heart is beyond cure, beyond cure. I believe that's Jeremiah, I think, chapter 17. It says the heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And it goes on to say that God is the one who can understand the human heart. You see, why I'm saying that because we have to understand the utter destitution of our hearts. That whether, I think it, that whether I think I was a good person or not, in God's eyes, in His holiness, in context of who He is, my heart was desperately wicked until I allow myself to be transformed by His Spirit. You see, God begins to heal what was broken, to give me something new, to make me something that I wasn't before in Him. As I understand that I had no ability to do that myself, as I understand that my heart was desperately wicked without God, as I understand then the grace that he has given me to give me a new heart, then I can understand how to begin to be merciful to others. I don't withhold mercy to others because I understand that I was in the same place that they were in. No matter what I think of them, no matter how bad I think that they are, I was in the same place. You might not have done the same exact things. The manifestation of sin might not have looked exactly the same, but the root of it was the same. The root of the sin was rebellion against God. You see, when I understand that, then I can begin to be merciful to other people. So God calls us to be generous in mercy. 
Uh, again, our passage says, be, gen- be merciful as your Father in heaven's mercy. The second thing we've got to do is be generous in our estimation of others. What I mean by that is that my desire should be to see the best in others and align myself with God's interest in the good of others. Uh, my disposition should be toward good, not immediately assuming the worst about people or their intentions. A lot of times today, it is so easy for us to immediately start assuming that this person did this for some sort of negative reason. There's something wrong with this person. They're trying to attack me. They're trying to do this or this or whatever it is to rip me down. It is so easy for us, especially in our culture today, everybody assumes that somebody's attacking them. There's something that is wrong with them because they're hurting me. They're doing something. You see, as the people of God, my, in, my disposition sure should be toward thinking the good uh, of other people. My first thought shouldn't be negative. My first thought should be uh, maybe I'm not understanding what's happening. Maybe they didn't fully understand what they said to me or how they said it. Our first thought shouldn't be offense. Our first thought should be uh, to try to understand what is actually going on here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 says this, says it this way. Uh, it goes on through all these things that love is. In verse 7 it says, it always love, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. The first thing is that, again, God has called us to love at all times and all people. Uh, but it always, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The King James Version says that it always bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what we're saying here, and a lot of this, this what I have in this, this piece here is from a commentary. I just want to say that these aren't my words right now. Love bears all things. It hides or conceals. If this, if this be, is the sense here, to hide or conceal, the Greek word meaning to hide or conceal, if this is the sense here, then it means that love is disposed to hide or conceal the faults and imperfections of others not to promulgate or blaze in them abroad or to give any undue publicity to them. Now, what I'm saying here, what this, this commentary is saying, it's not saying that we try to hide sinful things from people so nobody comes aware of it. What we're saying is that the character flaws that you see in the people around you, we don't try to magnify those things. That I would allow the love that God has poured into my heart to subdue those things, to hide those things, to conceal those things so that someone else can grow so that I can help them grow. It's not, there are people in this life where the first time somebody does something wrong, they're out telling everybody they know about it. This is what we're saying, is love bears all things. Love is the, the person, I see something in somebody else, and maybe I need to go to them and help them deal with it, but I'm not out advertising it for the world to know. Love believes all things. It means that in regard to the conduct of others, there's a disposition to put the best construction on it, to believe that they may have been actuated by good motives and they intend no injury. And as I have said, that simply means that when we are interact with somebody else, my first thought is not that they are trying intentionally to injure me or hurt me in any way, but my first thought is to try to understand the situation. Maybe somebody didn't mean something a certain way. Uh, It hopes in all things. Love hopes all things. It hopes that everything will turn out well, however dark uh, may be the appearances. 
no matter how much there may be to produce the fear that others are actuated by improper motives or that they are bad people, yet there is a hope that matters may be explained and made clear and that the conduct of others may be made to appear to be fair and pure. Love will hold on to this hope until all possibility of such revolt result has vanished and it is compelled to believe that the conduct is not susceptible of a fair explanation. What it is saying is that my disposition is towards believing that uh, there is something in others that God can work in. Let me say it this way. There are times I think that we believe somebody is beyond God's saving. There are times where we believe that somebody is getting what they deserve when bad things happen to them. You see, when I love the way that God has loved no matter how offensive what somebody has done, that I would still believe and hope that there is something in them that God can work in. It's not that they are good in themselves. Again, that's the general thing in the human heart. It's not good in itself. But there is something in them that God can use. There's something in them that God can do. There's something in them that if God transforms their heart, that they will be able to do amazing things for Him. And we believe that God can transform their heart no matter how terrible what they have done is. We believe that there is nobody that is beyond God transforming their heart. That the grace of God can be, can be extended to all mankind. So we are to be generous in our estimation of others, meaning overall that when I look at somebody, look, we have, we have this way of, you know, somebody, maybe somebody's a complainer. That's all they, every situation that comes up, they have something to complain about. Or they lie about something, or this or that, or whatever it is. My first thought isn't just to label them, well, that person's a complainer, so we set them over here. Or this person does this, so we put them over in this group. We don't do that, but my estimation of them, again, is that there is something in them that God can transform and make new. And that they can contribute something to His kingdom, that they can contribute to the body. It's not just to label people as what we see, uh, some sort of manifestation of their heart condition, but it is us uh, having a generous estimation of who they can be in Christ. So we are to be generous in our estimation of others. Uh, Just a couple more here quickly. We are to be generous in our service to others, uh, seeking to serve others. Uh, meaning that I am generous with what I have. Again, the graces that God has poured into me, the talents, gifts, abilities, all of those things, that I would be generous in the body of Christ in the world around me in pouring those things out for the sake of others. That I would be fine becoming a servant for the sake of other people. That I would hold nothing back for the sake of other people. Um, you understand that the Word of God says that the body has many parts, and they're not all the same. And if you read that passage, what it is saying is that you can't do everything in the church, and I can't do everything in the church. It takes every single one of us living out a servant's attitude using what God has given me to make the church function the way it should. You see, we get into this this mess in the church where we have just a few people that have to do everything. That's not a healthy body. 
It's not a healthy body because it is missing most of its potential. Because you only have certain members doing things. The body says everybody, every person that is saved in Christ, every single person that has received salvation in Christ is a part of the body to make it function, to make it live out its purpose, to make it live in, in a healthy way. It takes every single person. I don't have the ability to do it myself. You don't have the ability to do it yourself. It is not possible for any one person or a small group to make the church function in itself. It takes every person who is saved in Christ to live out its mission and recognizing in that that every person has been given a purpose. Meaning that if you're not sure what your purpose is in the church, that God wants to tell you what it is. He wants to tell you because when you live out your purpose in his body, that will help you live the life of fulfillment that he has called you to. He's called you to live a life of fulfillment in Christ. One of the ways we do that is by using what he has given us to serve others. So we are to be generous in our service to others. The last thing here, uh, we are to generously invest in others meaning that I am giving of myself and giving out of what God has entrusted to me. I give these things to others that one day God will see a return on the investment. Uh, we have to make sure there is, a, there is a distinction in the church between consumers and investors. There, there are people that There are people that won't stay somewhere unless you're giving them what they want. And if you don't give them what they want, they're going to go somewhere else. I've seen that over and over. I'm not telling you. That there's, there are times where we need to leave somewhere and find somewhere. There are times where God calls us somewhere else. But I'm telling you there are times where people for years and years and years will jump from one place to another because uh, well, this church wasn't like this, or this wasn't this, or we, we didn't get this, or this, or whatever it is. You understand that God is calling us to be people that would invest in his kingdom. And to do that, I need to be connected somewhere. And when I am connected somewhere, then I figure out what God has placed in me for that body. And I give all of it, investing in the kingdom of God. Because one day, God is going to see the yield from that investment. One day something is going to happen. We might not ever see the result of that ministry. That is one thing that we have to come to terms with, is I might serve my whole life and never see the result of my ministry. But that's not the point. The point is that I avoid being a consumer, always taking from everything or everybody or always wanting something, but I invest. And when I invest, I understand that God is the one who uh, gets the return on my investment. But out of that, though, God blesses his people. That is always the benefit. That is always the blessing that comes. We invest in him for the purpose of investing in him and his people. But out of that, God is generous again to us. It always returns to his people in some way. We are to generously invest in other people. As the worship team comes up, I'm about to close here, but... Uh, Again, I've said this multiple times, but Oswald Chambers said, 
that to be a disciple means that I deliberately identify myself with God's interests in others. To be a disciple means that I deliberately identify myself with God's interests in others. What we are saying here overall is that my heart would be willing to pour out for others. That I wouldn't hold on to things for myself, try to possess things of this world for myself. But everything that I have, I would offer for others because I have identified myself with God's interests in them. Meaning when I look at someone, I don't just see a complainer or a liar or whatever it is, but I look at this person, I say, what is God's interest in that person? Not what are they right this second, not, not where is their heart right this second, but what's God's interest in them? What does he want to see happen in them? What is the good he wants to see happen from their life? What is the benefit to his kingdom from their life? And I identify myself with that interest. Not what I see, but what God desires for mankind. I identify myself with his interest in those people. And I am willing to give whatever I have to see that interest uh, of God. To see him work in them to see them blessed in him, to see them transformed in him. The last thing, in verse 37, chapter 6, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not not be condemned. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You understand, in the end of this, he wraps this up by saying, the measure that you use, the way that you measure other people, the way that you give, the way that you pour out, the way that you measure all of these things, that is how it's going to be measured to you. So we have a choice today. We have a choice as we begin a new year that Is this going to be something different? Is this going to be something where I truly reflect on who I am? Where I seek to be a person who would reflect the character of God, that I would be the person who would pour out into others the way that God has poured into me. Not just with my money, but with my time, my talents, my abilities, everything that I have. That God may not ask some of those things of you. But the point is, are you willing to make everything available to him. He might not ask for more of your time. He might not ask for more of your money or your talents. He might not. I don't know that. But the point is, are you willing to make it available to him? If he would ask. God has been infinitely more merciful, generously merciful to us than we can even imagine. And he is asking us to be people who would be generous out of what he has poured into our hearts today. If you have a need today, come to the altars. You can come to this side and somebody will pray with you. You can come to this side and you can pray by yourself. But as, as I say that, just in closing, reminding you that sometimes we avoid using the altars because we think one, the second we get up, everybody's going to think that you have the problem the pastor was talking about today. That's not what we're talking about here. You can use the altars just simply to be thankful that God has poured his grace into your heart. You can use the altars 
as a testimony to believers that God is doing something in you. You can use the altars because you simply want to be a more generous person. There is no shame in that. There is shame in knowing that you want to be a generous person and doing nothing about it. There is shame in knowing that God is calling us to be generous and doing nothing about it. There is never shame in using the altars of God. I'm not telling you you have to use the altars. You can do it in your seat. I'm telling you sometimes it is a testimony to believers when we do those things. God, we love you today. We thank you for, the, for your word, for the life that is contained in your word. We thank you that you have given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness in you. We thank you for your generosity. You have been so generous in mercy and love and grace. All that you are that you have made freely available to us. And Father, we are able to step into that today through your spirit. Father, teach us to be people who would bless others the way that you have blessed us. That we would hold nothing back from you. That we would possess nothing in this world. We would make everything available to you. Father, we love you today. In your name we pray. Amen.